Welcome to The Cross Church. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or contribute online at thecross.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Faith Family and Friends, Pastor Chris. I'm so excited uh, to just bring to you our Christmas message series. I don't know about you, I just love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love the sights, I love the sounds. Uh, I love the memories that go with Christmas. And yet, I would just say this. I would want to rescue us from the sentimentality of the season and once again remind us of the consequence of the incarnate Christ uh, as, he, as he invaded the planet some 2,000 years ago and he's changed life forever. And I hope and pray he's changed yours. Uh, over these next few weeks, we're going to kind of take some popular Christmas movies. We're going to try to make some spiritual um, lessons apply. And the movie this week is simply this. Maybe you've, you've heard this heard of this movie. Hopefully you've seen it. Um, it's called Polar Express. And uh, Tom Hanks made this movie famous a number of years ago and, and it came from a book. And the, the premise of the, of, the, of the movie is simply this. There's a train these children are on and, and they go and they visit the North Pole and this kind of thing. And, and then at the end of the movie, okay, and this kind of bring it down the bottom line, the end of the movie, uh, the kids are given a bell. And the bell is this, they, they can hear the bell. And as they believe, and they believe in the things of Christmas, then they're able to continue to hear. And what happens over time is that as they get older, their ability to hear the bell diminishes as their ability to believe diminishes. And I say that to you because I, I, I ran across this interesting statistic, and it came from a 2017 Pew Research Center um, study about the Christmas story. And the Pew Research group said this, that only, and this was in 2017. So, hey, since 2017, let's be honest, we've had COVID, we've had lots of things happen, the world has radically shifted. And so the number in, in 2017 was 57% of people that believed in four elements, these four elements of the Christmas story, and here they are, that Jesus was laid in a manger, that the angels announced Jesus' birth, uh, that Jesus experienced a virgin birth, and that the wise men were led by stars and they gave gifts. Um, those four elements, um, Jesus being laid in a manger, the angels' annunciation of his life, wise men, and the virgin birth. And only 57% five years ago, six years ago, believed those things almost. Well, think about this. If that was true then, and you think about all the things that have happened, I would imagine that number is even less than that now. And I say this to you because I think that there's this correlation that as we get older, if we're not careful, we kind of become universalists. We kind of quit believing some things that we used to believe. Um, now, hey, in, in all fairness, you know, there's some quote-unquote myths that go with Christmas that... As we get older, we understand that simply aren't true. But as we think about the scriptures and we think about the, the, the birth of Christ, it's essential at whatever age we, we, we find ourselves that we believe in the truths of the scriptures, that we believe in the, in the reality of the word of God. And, and what I have found is that as people get older and perhaps they, they, uh, uh, they have children that adopt lifestyles that maybe are contrary to the scripture, sometimes they... They just say, well, you know, I believe these parts about Jesus, but not necessarily these parts about Jesus. And so essentially they can't really hear the bell anymore. Or perhaps they, they run across people, friends who are very sincere in their faith. Maybe they're devout Mormons or, 
they're devout Hindus or they're devout Muslims or whatever they may be. And, and when Jesus makes these exclusive claims about that he's the only way a person goes to heaven and they say, you know, I just see the sincerity of these people and I just see their, their love and, and, and the way that they take care of the world. And I just don't know if that can be true anymore. And what happens is you don't really hear the bell anymore. And I want to give you this postulate today, and it's, it's simply this one point. I want to drive this home with you. It's simply this, that belief leads to obedience, and obedience strengthens belief. Belief leads to obedience, and obedience strengthens belief. It's this cyclical cycle that always happens. And I want you to, as we think about those claims I shared with you about Christ being born and uh, laid in a manger and the, the angels announcing his birth and the wise men and the virgin birth itself, I want you to understand why these things are essential and why the people behind each of these events, they did believe and it led to their obedience. You see, belief leads to obedience and obedience strengthens belief. You see, this, this cyclical nature between belief and obedience, you have to understand this because you only do those things by which you really believe. You see, belief always is, is followed by obedience. Uh, belief, what you, 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 you ascribe to, you'll always do. In fact, you, this is practical in your life right now. The things you believe in, the things you follow through with in your life. And when you think about that first claim of Jesus being laid in a manger, you got to ask this question, like, where did even that, that thought come from? And if you go back some 2,000 plus years ago, you have to think about the prophets, the prophets. The prophets were those who foretold of the coming of Christ. They foretold of the Christmas story. And, and let me just say this, the prophets in their day, they believed, and listen to this, they, they trusted they trusted. See, you have to remember that, that, that there was a problem that all of the prophets in the Old Testament knew about. In fact, it's found in the very early pages of the books of Genesis when it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after man has fallen, after Adam and Eve have chosen to sin, it says this, and I, and this is God speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to Satan. He's speaking to the deceiver. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Look at this. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that there is going to become a redeemer who is going to save mankind from their sins. That's, it's, it's intimated there in that scripture that, that ultimately that the Son of God will crush the enemy, the devil. He will be defeated. But it will not be without a perilous price by which Jesus will suffer at the hands of evil people. So he says, um, he shall bruise your head. He's going to destroy you, but you shall bruise his heel. It's not, it, it, there's no question, Jesus suffered. So every prophet knew this. Every prophet knew that there was a problem. And as a result of the problem, they knew that God was somehow throughout time going to orchestrate uh, a divine rescue plan. In the book of Micah, it says this, um, this is one of the prophecies. There's several, but there's just a couple I'm going to highlight for you. Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, you through you, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Micah spoke and he, called, and he spoke and said specifically that where Jesus would be laid in this manger would actually be in this little town of Bethlehem. 
And what's fascinating about this little town of Bethlehem, uh, this little town of Bethlehem means this. It's the house of bread. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. And, and, and Bethlehem is situated just six miles from uh, the temple there in Jerusalem. And, and it was out of this little house of bread that Jesus would ultimately become the bread of life. And it's you and I that we need Christ. We need him to meet our deepest desires and our deepest needs. And, and then it was Isaiah who, who, in the same time frame, 700 years and some change, ahead of the time of Jesus, he writes these words, And he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that was before its shears, is silence. So he opened not his mouth. And you, and you have to understand then, now think about this, it's, it's, the, it's Jesus then, who, because of Genesis chapter 3, and because he's going to be laid in that manger in Bethlehem, it says this, he was like a sheep led to slaughter. And like I told you, there was a six-mile differential, differential between the, the hills of Bethlehem and the Temple Mount, and on the Temple Mount, you have to understand that's where they would they would offer sacrifices of the lambs, and it was it wasn't not ironic that I mean literally of these of, of, on the hills of of Bethlehem the sheep way outnumbered the people. In fact, during this time of Christmas, there was a census and people were drawn to that area, but normally it was just this agrarian area, and all you would hear are the baying of sheep on these green hills. And it was those hills that they would raise these sheep so that they would be taken those six miles up to the Temple Mount and they would be slaughtered. They'd be slaughtered, why? To atone for the sins of people. And yet, here's the thing. In Hebrews 10, 11, and 13, it says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool from his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, all of those prophets understood and all those prophets knew that there was going to come a time whenever God was going to send his redemptive agent, Jesus, into the, into the world. And they knew that, that when they were, those priests were sacrificing on that temple mount, that that was not what was really paying for their sins. It was symbolic. It was representative. But the bottom line was that Jesus was going to come and he was going to rescue us from our sins. And here's what I think is beautiful. You see, they trusted in the future work of God. They believed and their obedience caused them to trust. And here's my question today. I wonder if, if that's where you are. Does your belief cause you to trust? Maybe you simply today need to trust God for something that's not happening yet. And you say, I just don't see how in the future that's going to happen. And I would say, look at the prophets because these prophets, they prove this. You see, belief leads to obedience and obedience strengthens faith. See, belief leads to obedience. Obedience strengthens belief. Always has, always will. The prophets, they spoke of being of this place called Bethlehem where Jesus would be laid in a manger. But notice the second claim that people struggle with. And, and notice it's the angels. And, and here's the thing about the angels. The angels believed. The angels believed and they, and they speak. Uh, they spoke in that time. And in fact, do you realize that angels were the very first messengers of Christmas? They were the very first ones to speak of um, the, the story of Christ at Christmas. 
after a, a long time, God's presence being off the planet some 400 years, and it's the angels that speak to shepherds. But if you look at the story of Christmas, and you look throughout the Gospels, you see that angels are everywhere. They speak to Zechariah, and they speak to Mary, and they speak to Joseph. They speak to shepherds. They're everywhere. And so let me tell you something. Angels believe in, and they are unique creatures. In fact, the Bible says this in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so here's what, what I would say to you. Even outside of the Bible, at Christmas, it seems like angels sort of show up in the story. Like if you've ever seen this, the, the, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, there's this little guy named Clarence. And in fact, he, he and you got, you know, he, it says most famous, anytime a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And, and you do realize that um, you and I will never be angels, okay? So let's just go ahead and establish that. Because sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, oh, such and such died and they got their wings. Hey, if you have that kind of theology, I got a feeling that uh, whoever oh, such and such was is in the smoking section of eternity, okay? Uh, because the reality is this. People are people. God created humans to be humans. Angels are angels. They are unique. But here's the thing. They're unique not just in their creation, but they're unique in their service. Uh, in fact, angels, they do what God has them to do, and they serve Him, and they serve the saints. They serve people like you and me. And I would simply say this. Uh, this is one of the, the, the great mysteries of faith, because if you and I could peel pack the unseen, and we could see the unseen and the seen, I think you and I would see that around us, no question about it, there are angels in fact, sometimes they're actually made they're actually made seen. Hebrews 13, 2 says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Isn't it amazing to think that you may have had an angelic encounter and you don't even know it? Like, it, it, it's possible. I heard, this is pretty funny. I was on Facebook this week and I saw this, little, this family, they put a quote out, and this little girl is in the back seat in the car, and I guess she was giving her parents a fit, and she said... If I had wings like an angel, I would act like an angel. I said, that's pretty funny right there, right? But the truth of the matter is this. There are times you and I probably, the angels are, are around us. We're going to see one of these days in eternity that they're around us. But here's the thing. They had a unique message. They had a unique message because at Christmas in Luke 2, here's what it says. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out on the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And look at this. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, speaking of these shepherds. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Check this out. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You've got to understand something. That just like those prophets knew that, that mankind had a problem called sin, and they needed to be rescued, the angels also knew the man kind of had this problem. In fact, you remember that, 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 that if you go back into the book of Isaiah and you, and you do a little research, you'll find that Lucifer, Satan, once was an angel himself. And he led astray um, a third of the angels. And now they're demonic. Now they are demons, even to this moment. And there's no rescue plan for the angels. And so don't you realize that, that, that there are angels in heaven right now that they, they knew people who had been angels and they revolted with Satan. And so here's what these angels know. They know that although mankind has chosen the sin of his own, that God in his mercy on Christmas sends Christ to the planet. And let me tell you something, they love that. They're blown away by that because 
There is no such rescue plan for these angels. And so they have this unique message, but look at this. They also have a unique celebration. And this unique celebration entails this. It says um, this in Luke 15, 10. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I have no idea what this is like, but I just know in heaven that whenever a sinner, when a person puts their faith in Christ, that the angels in heaven rejoice. I don't know if there's like a red button and whenever it happens, boom, they hit the red button and people just start dancing, singing celebration. I don't know what it is, but here's what I know. I hope that you, I hope that me, I hope that this faith family are people that are leading people to Christ with such volume that boom, they're popping the switch in heaven and the angels are having a party. Because let me tell you something, angels wish there was a way to back to back to God. Angels wish there was a way for some of probably their very own. You see, the angels believe, and the angels are obedient, and it strengthens and, and belief and, and obedience always strengthens belief. And why? Because they speak. Can I ask you this question? For some of you, maybe obedience means you need to trust, but for some of you, maybe obedience means you need to speak. Like I promise you, the angels wish. Right, they they have the ability to reach some of their own. Don't you realize that that you and I have the ability to reach? We have an ability to reach some family, some friends, some neighbors. Man, we should take advantage of that opportunity. See, belief leads to obedience, and obedience strengthens belief. It always is that way. Like for instance, if you make a, a commitment that you want to lose weight, so you believe if you eat less, right, and you you're obedient to that then you'll lose weight. Well, then once you lose weight, guess what happens? That obedience strengthens your belief and you continue that cycle unless you're like me and it becomes Christmas and all the, all you have is an opportunity to eat sweets. Anyway, I digress. But I want you to notice this third group and it's the wise men because there's some who don't believe that wise men actually showed up. And I would tell you this, that these wise men believe, not only do they believe, but they also gave and they give. And wise men today still give. And, and notice what it says here. Uh, in the scriptures about this, it says in Matthew, it says, Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And then it goes on, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with his Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, here's, here's what's fascinating about this. The Magi says that they come from the east, uh, so they show up in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And you've got to understand, at that particular time, there was a man on the throne by the name of King Herod. And Herod is, is so intimidated. And let me tell you something. You want to know somebody else who believed in, in Jesus? King Herod. He, he believed in, the, in Jesus. He believed in what Jesus was going to do, just like these wise men did. You know why I know that? Because after they depart and, and they kind of trick old King Herod, um, King Herod has the little boys, the Jewish little boys in that region, all killed, two years age and down. And so you understand, it took those wise men from the east probably a period of about two years to make it there to uh, that, that city of Jerusalem. And, and, and why was that? Because you have to understand, these were men who came from the, the basically the area known as Babylon. Uh, this was in, in Iraq. Uh, you had to realize this was this was a long journey across a desert, and you, you got to understand what the Magi were all about. The Magi uh, were a group of people who were basically astronomers and astrologers. 
They were high-ranking officials. They, they made their way into the kingdoms of all of the, the, the old uh, ancient kingdoms in the time of Christ and well beyond uh, and well before. Uh, they, were, they believed in the works of a guy by the name of Zoroaster. He was a 6th century leader um, who taught of a single God, and yet he also taught of, of plurality of practice. Uh, these wise men were among the most well-educated people throughout history. They were familiar with the writings of people like Socrates. They knew about Homer and the Iliad. They understood the, the teachings of Plato. They were familiar with the practices of the occult, and they understood the Zodiac. You have to realize that they were also physicians. Uh, uh, they were scientists, uh, but they were also the kingmakers. So they would go to kingdoms, and they would... Uh, in, in, infer upon who the new kings were, and they would they would affirm them. Um, these men probably were able to read um, the hieroglyphics of ancient Egypt. Um, they understood Greek mythology, and they also would be around to see the Roman pantheon built. You see, how did these men know about this Jewish little king who was being born in this place called Bethlehem? Because if you know your Bible, you may recall there's a man named Daniel. In fact, my Old Testament book bears his name. And it was Daniel who was taken away into this same place called Babylon. And as you know, it, Daniel worked his way up. It was, it's thought that Daniel perhaps, and, and more than likely, became one of these wise men. And so within the, 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 the cult, if you will, of wise men, within the group of wise men, um, there were various factions and so it was Daniel who preserved this understanding. And so these wise men would have known the Pentateuch. They would have known the first five books of the Bible. And it would have been a, a credit to Daniel. And, and when, they, when they show up uh, and they find Christ, they bring three gifts. And these gifts are, are so significant to his mission. One is the gift of gold. And gold is always fitting for a king. In fact, I would argue that gold is probably fitting for most of us. Amen, right? And... Uh, and, and they brought this gold to signify his kingship. In fact, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word and restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince. And uh, here's the thing about it. You know, some of us sometimes think we live in such a bad time. How can we be godly in this time and leave a legacy? Once you know, Daniel did it. That's why these wise men show up. And it was through his, his heritage that he left this group. And so they show up and they give him gold and they acknowledge that Jesus is a king. They also give frankincense. Frankincense uh, was a resin that was found from trees in Arabia. They would cut this, the tree into to strips. They would collect the tears of the frankincense. In Exodus 30, we're told how this frankincense was used there in the tabernacle and then ultimately in the temple. And uh, basically, it, it gave a particular sense. It was offered on the altar of incense. And that's why in Hebrews 7.27, it says of Jesus, he had no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And so we are told and we are reminded of what Christ is going to do. He's going to be our, our priest who sympathizes with us and he offers up. That's why, don't you understand that even Jesus intercedes for you right now? And so the gift of frankincense reminds us of that, of, of who he is. But then finally, there's myrrh. And this is the gift of sacrifice because myrrh was a gum-like substance 
that was very valuable, incredibly valuable, but it was really used to embalm bodies. Can you imagine showing up at a baby shower and basically offering them a pre-need funeral plan? That's exactly what was going on here. These men show up and they and they give this little baby this, this myrrh. It must have been absolutely mind-blowing to his parents, but yet it signified that Christ would die for us. You see, the wise men themselves believed, and they traversed over two years, made this long journey. Why? Because belief leads to obedience, and obedience strengthens belief. And in their case, they gave. Can I ask you this question? What is it that God would have you give? Because if you truly believe, then you understand. Then we also, as a part of that, we just, we just give. We give of our time, we give of our talent, we give of our treasure. Can't help but think at this Christmas season, man, our, our belief causes us to, obe to obey and to give. So when you think about belief leads to obedience and obedience strengthens belief. And these two things, they work in dynamic with one another. And you think back in this story about the prophets, how they believed, they they believed and they trusted in a Savior that had not yet come and wasn't going to come for hundreds of years. It was not even going to be around in their lifetime. Then you think about those angels who had lived there and in the, in the, in the, in the, they, they have a beginning, but they have no end. They were, they were created by God in eternity past, and they're going to continue to live on forever, and yet there was no redemptive plan for them. And so they, they, they're excited about you and I, and, and, and they speak. They speak the message of Christmas. And then you think about uh, those wise men who, because they believed, they traveled and they gave. But then you ultimately think about this young lady, and you think about Mary, and you think about the virgin birth, and you think about how incredible this is. I mean, it's simply a miracle. In fact, the Bible says it like this. When you think about Mary and you think about her life, I mean, what, what characteristic comes to mind? Because listen to what it says. It says about her, it says, And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore a child will be born and be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. In verse 38, Mary says this, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, when you think about what belief and obedience, like she says, I am your servant. And, and the word there is this, it's the word surrender. Like what's amazing about this is, is the, the, when you think about the concept of, of the virgin birth, you realize that on planet Earth, and on November the 15th, and I don't know if you realize that this year, a very significant thing happened. Because on November the 15th of this year, global population for the very first time ever in recorded human history exceeded 8 billion people. There are 8 billion people that live on planet Earth today. And of all those 8 billion people that are currently alive on planet Earth, you understand that for them to make it onto planet Earth, 
They had to have a father and they had to have a mother. And they had to go about the natural biological process of reproduction for them to be alive. But you understand some 2,000 years ago, God stepped into eternity, in, in, into history from eternity and that God did something that had never been done. He allowed a woman to become impregnated in a way that has never happened before nor after. And, and the reason why this is so significant is this, is that if, there, if God had not stepped into the womb of this young woman, Mary, don't you understand that Jesus would just be one sinful man who died for other sinful people? You know, I can tell you this, Mary believed in the virgin birth because she experienced it. In fact, Joseph believed in the virgin birth, her husband, because Joseph, it talks about how he did not put her away for a divorce. And you can imagine that he, they grew up with this kind of, uh, all this talk that must have gone around them. You realize that even Jesus' contemporaries knew there was something going on in his life. Like they even, uh, they would sometimes insinuate that he had been a child of immorality. He had been birthed in that way. But, but you realize that the, the virgin birth is the core doctrine. It's, it's essential to the salvation of mankind. And, and, and so for us not to believe that is, is simply not to believe in, in the fact that Jesus can save us from our sins. You see, in John 1, 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You realize that Jesus was an eternity past. Like Jesus was, there was a time that before he shrank himself into the womb of Mary, that, I mean, he was there in the very beginning. You know, that's why Genesis 1 says, let us, uh, you know, let there be light. Let us create. Let us, I mean, the reference there is that Jesus was in eternity past and, and at the creation of the world. And he shrunk himself. God shrunk himself into the womb of this young girl. And, um, but it also speaks to the fact that he had a sinless nature. And 1 John 3, 5 says this, you know that when he appeared, that when he appeared, he did in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And so the reason why God had to find himself in the womb of Mary is because Mary, although she was pure, she was not without sin, but the, the Father, the Holy Spirit, was without sin. And that is why you and I, that's why he is fully God and he's fully man. And he also ultimately becomes the perfect sacrifice. He becomes the one who takes the wrath of God. He's the one who takes the penalty for sin. That's why in Galatians 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And you see, when you think about that study I shared with you, about people's lack of belief in that Jesus was laid in a manger, that, that angels heralded his arrival, that wise men showed up and then the virgin birth. You understand why all of these things are so essential and they all point to this one thing that you and I need a savior. And the question I would have for you is this, have you surrendered your life to the savior? You see, until you surrender your life to the savior, you can never really experience the majesty and the ultimate gift of Christmas. And friend, if you're, if you're listening to this, wherever you may be, can I just challenge you? Reach out to us. We would so love to help you connect with Christ this Christmas. I want to speak a blessing over you. 
And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you can just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just be with us in this Christmas season. May it be that in this time, our belief in you grows in such a way that we become obedient to you and that through our obedience to you, it will strengthen us in our belief. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and let me be one of the very first to say, Merry Christmas.